my brother can attest to this. Growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, um, of a lower middle income family, we ate a lot of chicken. I don't know if you heard what I just said, but we ate so much chicken. I thought I was being turned into a chicken. We ate chicken eight nights a week. My mother knew how to fix it in many different ways, but the staple was to fry it. And, uh, and when she would fry it, this is how, you know, Jesus talks about making disciples of him. You got to make disciples on how to eat chicken properly. Because there are some of us who, when we eat chicken, we eat everything. And, and we, the bone becomes gristle. And, but then you run into some folk that don't know how to eat chicken right. You ever been with those people? Get some hot wings or something? And they leave so much meat on the bone. And like, what is going on here? And when I'm with my children and they leave the meat on the bone, I go ahead and take the plate and I finish off what was left because there was a lot of meat on the bone. I just stopped by here this morning and let you know, I know we've been in 1 Corinthians 7 for over two months but there is still some meat on the bone. Y'all don't hear me, man. Y'all don't hear me. There's still some meat on the bone. So today I'm going to cover what it means to be married to an unbeliever. Because Paul covers that in 1 Corinthians 7. Then next Sunday I'll try to close it out with a word to widows. Um, those who've lost a spouse. Because Paul addresses that as well. And then on the final Sunday of the month, our student minister will speak, our children, our students will lead. We've got multiple baptisms planned that day, so uh, great things are in store. But turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's get some of this meat off the bone. As I speak on the subject today of the blessedness of association. The blessedness of association. In real estate, there are three words that speak to the primary function and goal of real estate. And those three words are location, location, location. Real estate, location, location, location. And when it comes to reading the Bible, and understanding it well, there are three words that we must consider. And those three words are context, context, context. In order to really understand and apply the Bible, we need to understand the context of the text that we're reading, that we're teaching, or that we're preaching. Because watch this. A text can never mean what it never meant before. So we want to do our best to understand what the text meant when it was originally rent, written by people who were influenced by the Holy Spirit, what was going on then, and how then we bring application to where we are now. 
because it's dangerous if you take a text out of context because it then becomes a proof text for you to start a brand new sect that may not be in line with the Lord. So we want to make sure we stay within context. And when we think about 1 Corinthians 7, the context is the church at Corinth, they are sending questions to their founder, the one who founded the church. Of course, the, the church is built on Christ, the solid rock, but the apostles built on that foundation. Paul went around planting churches all over the then-known world on his first, second, and third missionary journey. And on his second missionary journey, he planted this church in Corinth, which was, uh, Corinth would make Las Vegas look like uh, Mayberry. So Corinth was a terrible place, a bunch of lasciviousness going on in that city, but right in the midst of the darkness, God sparked a light through the local church. And people, Jews and Gentiles, were coming to faith in Jesus, becoming disciples. And now the question was, how do we live for Christ? We're in the world, but we're not of it anymore. We're, we're different people. And so we have questions of one of God's apostles about relationships, because we want to honor God in every area, especially in our marital relationships. So when we come to chapter 7, and we answered a bunch of these questions that had arisen between the people and Paul, and I won't elaborate and go back. You can either read the text for yourself or go and listen to some of the older messages but we're at the place now where a group of people sent a question to Paul, and their question may have gone something like this. I'm married to an unbeliever. Can I get a divorce? That was their question. I'm married to an unbeliever, someone that doesn't know Jesus the way I do. Can I get a divorce? Now, before we see Paul's answer, simply through reading the text, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, I have to say this, does not condone a believer marrying an unbeliever. Now, it addresses a believer marrying, uh, uh, being married to an unbeliever, but it is not written in such a way to encourage believers to marry unbelievers. Pastor Chris, what's going on? What happened more than likely was that both were unbelievers, husband and wife. One of them, when they heard the gospel, responded and began to follow Jesus Christ, whereas the other chose not to. So one person is following Jesus, the other is not. And so those who are following Jesus are probably having a hard go at it at home. When it's time to go to church, why you got to go back to the church? When it's time to go to the prayer meeting, why you got to go to the prayer meeting? When it's time to give God a tithe or an offering, why you got to give that money to the church? When you talk about, I want to have the pastor come up, we don't want him coming over here again, eating up all the chicken. You probably had some issues at home being married to an unbeliever. And so there were some who asked the question, can I get a divorce? Now, What's implied, as I mentioned, is that these folks had married as unbelievers. One became a Christian. And what Paul says later in 2 Corinthians is that this is like being unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, 
that was an agrarian culture. Uh, they did a lot of farming. So yokes of oxen was something common. And a yoke of oxen was when they would take two oxen and they would put a, a contraption around their necks so that they could be hitched to a, a trowel and they would plow a field with the oxen. And so what you wanted to do was you wanted to yoke together two oxen that were comparable in size, weight, and strength. You didn't want to have a big Bluto-looking uh, oxen and then have a small little Popeye oxen next to it. Popeye, don't let him get the spinach, though. You don't want that because it, it, would, it would be off. It would be unequally yoked. And so what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 6 is that when you have a believer yoked with an unbeliever, they are unequally yoked. You even have one who's going this way and the other who's going that way. Because the Lord is not both of their lords. He is just one of their lords. So this makes for contention at home. And so some would say, uh, Paul, can I get a divorce? And here's what Paul has to say beginning at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Where Paul says, but to the rest I, not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And so we see Paul's answer right here to their question. Can I divorce my unbelieving husband? Can I divorce my unbelieving wife? And God says, no you can't divorce your unbelieving spouse if they are willing to stay with you. Wow. Paul, why do you say that? Why do you say that that person needs to remain in that marriage where they are unequally yoked? Again, they weren't dating as a believer doing missionary dating trying to get an unbeliever saved so they can get married. No, they were both unsaved one got saved in marriage, and they're unequally yoked that way. And Paul is saying, no, if they want to stay with you, you cannot and should not divorce them. Why, Paul? Here it is. Because there's a blessedness in association. There's a blessedness for the unbeliever to be married to the believer. He's going to cover that. I'm about to read it to you. And not only is it a blessedness for the unbeliever to be married to the believer, but it's also an association of blessedness for the children that come from this union. So Paul is saying, stay together. Oh, I hear Al Green in my left ear. I ought to stay together. Y'all supposed to say. Anyway. Y'all late. Stay together. <laughs> Stay together. Look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What's going on, Paul? He's saying that the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. What does that mean? The word sanctified here means to be set apart. 
So when we are sanctified, we are set apart by the Lord. We were a part of that group that was going to hell because the road that leads to destruction is wide and there are many on that road. But the road that leads to heaven is straight and narrow and only few are on that road, Jesus said in Matthew 7. But when you become a Christian, you have now been set apart. You've been taken off that road and put on another road. You've been given a new position as we're learning on Wednesday nights as we're studying the book of Ephesians. We invite you to come as we talk about our identity and position in Jesus Christ. We've been set apart. I'm sanctified not because women don't wear pants. You know, some of us grew up with that. That's what sanctification is. Women wear skirts and dresses all the time. That's sanctification. Sanctification is not putting a perm in your hair. Sanctification is not wearing the devil's uh, uh, makeup. No, 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 no. That may be what you want the outward manifestation of sanctification to look like. That may be your conviction. But sanctification is not so much about what you do. It's about who you are because of Christ. He set you apart. So as a result, I'm going to live set apart. I'm not going to push legalism on other folk. If he tell me not to wear makeup, I'm not going to wear makeup. But don't you push that on other people in the name of sanctification. No, sanctification is when God sets you apart by his grace through Jesus Christ. So the saved spouse sanctifies the unsafe spouse. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they're Christians because you're a Christian. It just means because they're associated with you, they are set apart, watch this, unto certain blessings. Because it's who they're attached and associated to. There ought to be a benefit from being bound to a believer if you're an unbeliever. And so Paul is like, no, y'all stay together because there are blessings that are attached to you that will spill over and bless them. What are you talking about? How about the blessing of love? You don't even know what love is without Jesus loving you first. So we're not even talking about simply uh, phileo love, brotherly love, or erotic love. Uh, we're talking about agape love, which is a commitment of the will. And the Bible says we didn't even know what love was until Jesus came and showed us what love was. Because God is love. And so if anybody knows what love is, it's a Christian who knows the God of love. And we get to show our unbelieving spouse what love is. When we commit our will, when our feelings are gone, and we stay together because of a commitment of the will, which is love, and the sacrificial, that's love. You show your unbelieving spouse what love is like because Jesus demonstrated his love towards you. And watch this. They may never come to church, but we like to say this all the time. Uh, the church ain't the building. The church is the people, and that's true. The, the, the Bible talks about how the Spirit indwells the temple corporately, but also the temple personally. So when you go home, you are the church in your house, and you take church to your unbelieving spouse. So they get to go to church when you have dinner with them. They get to go to church when y'all go shopping together. They get to go to church when y'all go to bed together because the church is now in you and with them. And the Jesus, the only Jesus many of our unbelieving spouses will ever see is you. That's why he's the light of the world, capital L, but we are also the light of the world under him, lowercase l, Matthew chapter 5. He's the light, we're the light. 
And so when we're around unbelievers, the light of Jesus shines through us and by grace in spite of us. And so they're exposed to the light and love of Jesus by being associated with you. That's a blessing of association. Mm. Rather than looking at it as, I'm tired of this man. I'm tired of this woman. I know it get like that sometime, but I'm coming here with the word to encourage you. And some of y'all say, Pastor, it's not that I'm married to an unbeliever that I'm having trouble. I'm coming down your street and I'm going to drop mail off in your box. I'm married to someone who professes to be a believer, but there's no fruit that they are a believer. But you still love them and you take the church to them. You take Jesus to them. You love them. You pray for them. That's a blessing of association. Uh, Zipporah saved Moses' life because God was going to kill him, but she stood in the gap and prayed for him, and God had mercy for Moses. Read your Old Testament. When you have a wife or a husband standing in the gap for their unbelieving spouse, that's power. Remember that old song, my mama prayed for me, had me on her mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad she prayed. But when you're married to an unbeliever or a Christian acting like an unbeliever, your prayers are valuable. They're needed. You pray. You stand in the gap. And watch this. You even cover your spouse with prayer. They're walking in blessings because they're associated with you. They're walking in protection because you're praying for them in the name of the Lord. They're getting promotions on the job because you, as the faithful, believing spouse, you're praying for them to prosper and that their soul would prosper. But in the ultimate state of prosperity, they would meet the one who gives all gifts and gives them wealth. And so you love them. You pray for them. You show kindness to this unbeliever. When they want to cuss, you bless Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. I, I, I didn't know we supposed to apply that stuff. Uh, I know it says it in Romans 12, not to return evil for evil or, or, or cursings for cursings, but blessings for curse. You really expect me to live that way when he get to cussing or she get to fussing? I haven't been saved all my life. I still know a few words, and if you hit it wrong, they're coming out. <laughs> now, remember, they may be, you may be the only Jesus they see. You're the living epistle. They, they ain't going to read this Bible. They're reading you. You're a living epistle. Don't you stand in the way of them not seeing Jesus because of your stubborn defiance and carnality. Oh, my God. Lord, I need you before I go in this house because this man, this woman, Lord, I want to give them you. I don't want to give them my flesh today. It's real. It's real. But his grace is sufficient. So you give them kindness. There's an old saying that says, kill them with kindness. And then there's faithfulness. That's a blessedness of association. They don't have to worry about you tipping out on them. That's a blessedness of being associated to a believer that uh, y'all may be going through some hard times, but the unbeliever don't have to wonder if you're going to go find a side piece somewhere. This is real stuff here. And so Paul said, man, it's a blessing to be associated with you. And not only for the spouse, but also for the children. He says that the children might be holy. So the children are under an unsaved spouse, a parent, and a saved parent. And Paul is saying that the one saved parent, husband or wife, 
Their position in the home is enough to sanctify or make the children holy. Again, not, not, not to make them Christians, but they are in an environment whereby them becoming a Christian is all the more likely because of the influence of the saved parent. Again, I know it's tough. I know it's rough. There's warfare at home. I get it. But God says, we can do this. You can do this through me if you submit to me. The children are holy because they have a holy parent. And so this word holy comes from the same root word in the Greek of sanctified, which means to be set apart. So the children are also set apart to blessings and benefits based on their association with you. One parent may be crazy, but you not. Here's some of the blessings that children receive. When one parent is a believer, they receive love, an environment of love. And if there's a separation and you got to go live with your mama or your daddy for a minute, but when they come back with you, there is a different environment. There is love. There is grace. There is mercy. There is encouragement. There are words of affirmation. There is prayer. The believing parent blesses the child by praying over the child. When they go to school, you're asking, Lord, put a hedge around my children. Lord, bless my children. Take care of my children. Because you're praying, God is moving and acting. But then that saved parent can give the child the faith. Not only love, not only prayer, but the faith. What do you mean, Pastor? The Bible says, raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so you may have an unbelieving spouse that don't want to have nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, I'm saved, but I'm teaching my children about God. And I'm going to raise them up, and I'm going to take them to church, and I'm going to share the gospel with them at home. Okay, you don't believe me. The Bible talks about a guy named Timothy whose mother was a believer, but his father was an unbeliever. Matter of fact, they were in an uh, uh, interracial marriage. His mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. The father was an unbeliever. Mama was a believer, and her mother was a believer. Timothy got the faith, not from his father because he was an unbeliever. He got the faith, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, from your mother and your grandmother. But I got to stop and just park here for a second. They had a mixed marriage. And I'm not talking about the fact that she was Hebrew and he was Greek. No, I'm talking about the fact that she was a believer and her husband was an unbeliever. They had a mixed marriage. But today we have folks who want to focus on a different kind of mixed marriage, and they want to focus on skin tone, and, and they want to talk about it's a mixed marriage. It's a black man with a white woman. It's an Asian man with a Latino woman. Uh, and so they'll talk about these mixed marriages but that's not what the Bible talks about as far as a mixed marriage is concerned. A, a, a mixed marriage is one person knows the Lord and the other person doesn't know the Lord. Has nothing to do with ethnicity or 2019 race. Ah, because he says in verse 39 of the same chapter, when he says to the widows, uh, I encourage y'all not to get married again. Stay, stay a widow. But if you do get married, the person has to be in the Lord. He doesn't say they have to be in the Lord and of your same ethnicity. He said they have to be in the Lord. 
And some of us would rather have our children date and marry someone of the same ethnicity but don't know the Lord than date and marry someone who knows the Lord but is of a different ethnicity. I know it's right. You ain't got to say amen. I know it's true. And it just ain't white folks that's against these mixed marriages. Black folk against them too. Excuse me, I'm painting with a broad brush. Don't email me and say, not all of us. I'm painting with a broad brush. And that's one of the things you're praying for your child, that they'll meet their mate. And when a saved one who loves God comes along, but if they have a different package, as a parent who knows the Lord, you shouldn't be concerned about that. Now, you talk about the realities of what it means to live in America, a racist society. you you got to prepare them and talk to them about the realness of it. But I read somewhere that love conquers all. I read somewhere that love covers a multitude of sin. I read somewhere that, that love is able to endure all things, even racist folks outside. And some of them inside the church, too. I just had to say that that part was for free. I'm getting back to the message, which you're paying for. You're paying for this part right here. Pray for your kids that they can find Jesus. Timothy met Jesus through mom and grandma. Then Paul came along to be a spiritual father to him when his earthly father wasn't. And he said, Timothy, my true son in the faith. That's why the church is the real family, because we connect when our biological families don't. So if you don't have a supportive earthly father or mother, when you come into this house, God's house, hey, father, hi, mother, hi, brother, hi, sister. Why? Because we're tied together and bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is greater than our ancestral blood. Oh, man, let me keep moving. Let me keep moving. Mm-hmm. You say, Pastor, man, that was old, all that stuff. No, it wasn't. Because um, I, I was going to talk about the Loving case in Virginia, where back in 1924, you know, they, they, they had it on the books with Virginia that it was illegal against the law for someone to marry someone of another race. And that didn't get struck down until 1967 in Virginia when a black woman married a white man and they were threatened to be put in jail because of that. So they took it to court, lost. They took it to the Virginia Supreme, Supreme Court and lost. So then they had to take it to the highest court in the land, and the highest court in the land says it's unconstitutional to say that people of different races can't be married. And that was 1967, a year before I was born. And there are people who still walk around believing that blacks and whites and brown and shouldn't be together in marriage. And a lot of them profess to be Christians, like the lady from three weeks ago in Mississippi. When folk came into her office wanting to get married, and she was like, uh, it's against my Christian race and my Christian beliefs to see a black man married to a white woman. You don't want to make the news because of your racism and your prejudice and your stereotypes. It's a shame. Oh, man. Now, the thing about sharing the gospel with your children is that the child could be the one who comes to Christ that reaches the unbelieving spouse. Because they may not want to hear it from you anymore. Over in 1 Peter, he's like, uh, don't win your husband with a lot of preaching and words. Win him without words. Your brother don't want to hear the sermon. He don't want to hear the sermon. Okay, so maybe a little junior go in the room 
and start preaching the word to Papa. <laughs> uh, John Perkins, one of the great ministers of the gospel in the modern era, grew up in Mississippi, went to live out in Los Angeles, and has a ministry worldwide. I think he's almost 90 years old now. Uh, he's a minister of reconciliation. But what a lot of people don't know is that he came to Christ because his son Spencer had gotten saved at a vacation Bible school. So he got saved at a vacation Bible school. He came home and started telling his parents about the gospel of Jesus, and John Perkins came to Christ because of his son's witness. So don't you say what God can't do through a child. My goodness. So the child is in a good place because the child has a believing parent. Christian spouse, the marriage is blessed because you're there. Your children are blessed because you're there. The favor on your life blesses those who are associated with you. If you don't believe me, ask Laban. In the Old Testament, Laban had a son-in-law named Jacob. And because Jacob was blessed by God, he was in the lineage of Abraham and Isaac, there's a blessing on his life when he went to live with his uncle his uncle's property and everything that he had got blessed because Jacob was there. Then the Bible talks about another descendant named Joseph. The blessing of God, the hand of God was on Joseph. The favor of God, his goodness, his kindness was on Joseph. And his brothers hated him because of that. They sold him to the Ishmaelites and took him down into Egypt. But the favor of God didn't change. And so when Potiphar saw him, the Bible says Potiphar saw that the hand of God was on him. And he put everything under his c command, and as a result, his house was blessed because Joseph was there. Then the wife tries to, you know, get him over rape, frame him. He goes to jail. The Bible says he blesses the jail. The jail is blessed because Joseph is there. Then the guy who gets out of jail uh, because of the prophecy that jo Joseph is able to tell, I think it was the baker, uh, and he's like, the butler, he's like, man, I forgot while I was in jail, there was this dude that was interpreting dreams because Pharaoh has the dream that he can't interpret. So he's like, man, go get that jailbird and bring him here quickly. So Joseph comes out of jail because the hand of God is on him, and he blesses Pharaoh with wisdom and insight from God. So because of Joseph, Potiphar is blessed. The jail is blessed. Pharaoh is blessed. The people are blessed because he gives a word for how to help during the famine. But not only that, his own family gets blessed. The ones who threw him in the ditch have to come to Egypt to get grain. And guess who is the one who's responsible with God to bring the grain and to distribute it to the people? It was Joseph. I'm just saying all that to say people will be blessed because you're around. Your job ought to be better because you're there. Your school ought to be better because you're there. Your home ought to be better because you're there. Your church ought to be better because you're there. Why? Because when you show up, God shows up through you, with you, and beside you. Some folk like to call it the anointing, but we're all anointed if we're Christians. But the issue is, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we walking in the anointing of God? Because when that happens, drippings fall off of us. Because when people were anointed in the Bible, they would pour oil on their head. They would be anointed with oil, and the oil just wouldn't come down nice and clean and smooth. No, it was spatter. And if you're standing by, some of it going to get on you. And if somebody's with a believer who's anointed and walking in the Spirit of God, there's some drippings that's going to come off of you and hit other folk. Listen, everywhere Strong Tower Bible Church went before we got this building 
We blessed every place we were. The Franklin Y, uh, uh, um, the factory, the Cool Springs Y, New Hope Academy, Franklin High School, wherever we went, those places were better off business-wise. Why? Because we were there. When we left up out of the factory, it wasn't like leaving up out of Egypt, but when we left up out of the factory, man, we left them speakers and screens and curtains and chairs. They were better off when we left than before we came. And when we paying all that money, they surely were blessed. We were blessed, and we blessed them. Do you feel like that? That when you walk places, we sing, goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's true. And that means people who touch you get some goodness. People who associate with you get some mercy, starting first with your unsaved husband or wife and your children. Oh, man. Today, they're retiring Eddie George's jersey. And uh, they're retiring his jersey along with Steve McNair. Job well done. Great leaders on the field. Um, several years ago, on my son's 10th birthday, I want to illustrate to you the blessedness of association. Because people are associated with you, there's a blessing that's going to hit them because of you. So my son's 10th birthday, he wanted an Eddie George jersey. I said, okay, I think we can pull that off. Why? Because I know people that know Eddie. I don't know him, but I know people who do know him. And there's that old saying about five degrees of separation. You are five degrees or five touches away from what you're trying to get. And it may not take five. It may just take one. And so I call Reggie Pleasant, who was the chaplain for the Titans. And I say, hey, Reggie, can you get a jersey, a real jersey, not one that you get at Walmart. I want a real jersey that he played in. See, I'm asking for all this stuff. I'm asking. That's my son. I'm asking for it. And he said, sure, pastor, I'll check. So he goes and he gets a jersey from Eddie George. Now, being the person that I am, I said, um, excuse me, bro, can you get him to sign the jersey? He said, sure, pastor, let me check. So he goes and he gets Eddie George to sign the jersey, brings it back. And me being the person that I am, I had one more request. I said, um, could he call my son on his 10th birthday and wish him a happy birthday? Hold on, pastor, I'll check. So we're at the birthday party for my boy, his 10 year, and we pull out the signed jersey of Eddie George. Then the telephone rang. And it was Eddie George wishing my son, who he never met, a happy birthday. How did my son get that blessing? <laughs> because of who he was associated with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it just don't end there. Don't end there. Because when our kids turn 13, we say, okay, we're going to take you on a trip. Okay, we're going to go wherever you want to go. My son says, I want to go to Atlanta, and I want to meet Michael Vick. I said, okay, all right. So because I'm blessed... I called the chaplain for the Atlanta Falcons. I said, hey, bro, uh, can my son meet Michael Vick? He said, 
Chris Williamson, I'm glad you called because I was going to ask you if you could come do the chapel for the Falcons because I normally do the chapel when they're in town. But I said, oh, I'll come to Atlanta and do the chapel, and I'm bringing my son with me, and I only ask that he can meet Michael Vick. And because of my association with these folk, my son got blessed and met Michael Vick on his 13th birthday. My son is blessed by association with me. And then not long ago, I had a brother who wanted to bless me. And he sent me these top-of-the-line Air Jordans that had never, they hadn't even come out yet. So this was somebody with connections. I know a few people, but he had connections. So I said, yeah, man, I want to pair them Jordans, man. They got the blue bottom and the patent leather tops. Yeah, there ain't any mountain stores. He sends them to me. I wasn't thinking about my son. He sent them to me. But God was thinking about my son because he sent them to me and they were the wrong size. They were my son's size. And you know when you get a blessing from somebody, you can't be like, uh, it's the wrong size. Uh, can I send this back to you? Like, no. So before I gave the shoes to my son, I tried to first see if my foot could fit in them bad fellas. I'm in there walking, <laughs> my toes all turned up, and the Lord was like, man, get them shoes to your son, because he's blessed by association. Amen. Well, Paul closes by saying, how do you know, oh wife, how do you know, oh husband, whether or not you will save your husband? Because the ultimate blessing of being attached to you is salvation. How do you know? After living with them this long and loving them and praying for them and being kind to them and showing Jesus to them, how do you know whether or not they won't meet Jesus because of you? So just don't run for the divorce. Now, if they're willing to stay, stay with them. How do you know whether or not they will come to Jesus because of your witness? Now, here it is. Some folk don't come to Jesus even though they're married to a Christian spouse. But there are stories of people who do. And some conversions happen on deathbeds where the unsaved spouse trusts the Lord. But I close with this story right here. I want to encourage somebody. Because I talked to a friend of mine on Wednesday. And I said, can you tell me the story again of when your grandfather came to Christ? So my friend started telling me the story, and, and she said, well, in the 1950s, my grandfather worked as a longshoreman in the Baltimore Harbor, and he was married to my grandmother, but they had a horrible marriage, and they didn't think they would make it. They fought all the time, 1950s, and just so happened that on one day, her grandfather was at work at the harbor. And one of his co-workers shared the gospel of Jesus with him. And he became a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And his life was changed. He became a new person. And he came home, and what he would do is he would go downstairs into the basement to spend time with God. He would read his Bible, and he would pray. Very disciplined man. But that didn't stop his wife, who was not a Christian, from coming down those stairs every day arguing with him about trivial matters. 
So she would come downstairs and she would argue with him. And this went on for two years. And the grandmother says, I couldn't, I didn't like him as an unbeliever. And I really couldn't stand him as a believer. And they fought, fought, fought. And so one day, he's downstairs praying and reading his Bible. He hears the steps creaking. He says to himself, oh, no, here she comes. Let me get ready because we're going to have another argument about something. So he closes his Bible. He waits for her to come down. She comes downstairs. She sits down next to him. She looks her husband in the eye and says, I have been trying to rattle your cages for two years. I have been obstinate. I have been evil and mean-spirited. And yet you have remained focused and you have continued to love me. And I just want to know, whatever it is you got, can you show me how to have it too? And the grandfather led his wife to the Lord. And then the two of them sat their four children down around the table and told the children the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all four children came to faith in Christ. And one of those children happened to be Dr. Tony Evans, who went on to become this great pastor who has blessed and influenced people around the world. And by the way, the person who told me the story was one of his four children, Priscilla Shira, who tells the story when she preaches. And I'm just here to let you know that you had a believer married to an unbeliever. The believer was able to win the unbeliever to Christ. They led their children to Christ. And out of that union came Tony Evans and Priscilla and Jonathan and Anthony because God is so faithful. How do you not know whether or not you will be the one who will be used to save your spouse? So don't give up. Stand to your feet, God's people. Canton Spiritual saying, it's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. He'll bring the blessing if you Father, we pray now. We need you. We can't do it without you. Lord, we're here today because somebody prayed for us. We're born again. We're saved. We're, we're in the light. As Joel said, we were once lost, but now we're found because somebody prayed for us. But not only somebody, but Jesus, you stand at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. You're praying for us. And so, Lord, thank you that you didn't give up on us. Even when the disciples couldn't pray for you for one hour, you continued to pray. May we not give up on our unsaved loved ones and spouses and children and neighbors and coworkers. Lord, I pray you give us a fresh joy and new strength to just keep on loving them well. We, we're not the Christ. We just represent the Christ. And I pray, Lord, you'll bring some men and women to a saving knowledge of you through us, in spite of us, with us. So Lord, I pray for that person who's in the tough marriage and they've thought about getting out. I pray that this word was an on-time word for that person today and that they will stay if the other person is willing and if the other person is not abusing the covenant and being unfaithful, all that stuff, God. But I, I just pray you'll turn it around. 
And I pray, Lord God, for um, anyone here today that doesn't know you. I pray, Lord, that those folks would come and just talk to me at the end of this service and just shake my hand and say, Pastor Chris, can you tell me about Jesus? Can you pray with me, Pastor Chris? I pray, Spirit of God, that you'll move on folks that way. And if there's someone who needs a church home, come shake my hand and say, I want to be a part of this church. Lord, I pray that we'll be obedient. If, if we need to get baptized, I pray we'll be obedient to the Spirit. So thank you, God. And now as we go from this place, but never from your presence, we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. For there's no God like you. There's no God beside you. And surely there is no God over you. And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. It's according to the power that is working within us. To Jesus be glory in the church and throughout all generations. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hug a couple folks before you go. Amen. Have a blessed day. I'll be standing here. I'll be standing waiting on you.